Welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Z, Jeffrey Salaji. Grateful to have you back with the show today. Episode 36, my guest is Delana Smith, stoic astrologer and host of the Moon Matters podcast. Delana, it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you for this rich and interesting conversation as we explore systems of knowledge. This is the theme of season four. Also a special shout out to my pal Tobin. Great to have you as a co-host and a fellow student of astrology. Listeners, appreciate having you on board. There'll be some information at the end of the show, how you can support this podcast. But for now, please do enjoy the wisdom of astrology with the dynamic Delana Smith. This is fate. Like when I look at it, uh, I, it is what it is. It's concrete. I'm, I'm a practicing stoic, so very fate and deterministic. I can't tell you what you're going to have for breakfast. You know, you still have the choice to do that. But there are large scale themes, patterns, archetypal energy that is imbued into our human experience. You know, this go around if you believe that. So I, I fully believe that there are things that no matter what you do, it's not going to miss you. No matter which way you go, it's going to find you somehow. So those are things that I can see within a chart. And I think sometimes that scares people. It's easier to believe in nothing than to believe in something. And to put, I put all of my eggs in the basket of fate. So that's sort of where I am just with astrology and stoicism. So Jeff, what about you then? Where are you at in the astrological realm? Yeah, no, no enough to feel connected to it. I've had people speak to my experience with astrology or kind of say things that suddenly uh-huh, that starts making sense. It starts, I start resonating with it, um, particularly the, like the first acknowledgement I had that kind of made me feel seen through the astrological lens was a, a housemate when I was in Chinese medical school saying basically like, oh, moon, Mars, and in the sixth house, you know, and started talking about the challenge of feeling of emotions and action and those tensions there. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I absolutely feel that way all the time. And it's right there in my chart. Okay. And then, you know, little bits here, little bits there. Yeah. And the Piscean urge to, you know, be up here and ethereal in action and not being able to kind of ground those actions and those emotions and do it in a way that's, uh, you know, harmonious because you do have a Libra rising as I do. So harmony is in everything for us. Everything we do is harm harmony driven, you know, well, I, I, we're both also malefic ruled. You are ruled by Saturn. I am ruled by Mars and it's, it's hard to sometimes be a malefic person when you have your aspirations which is your rising sign. Your rising sign isn't just your persona or a mask. It is literally the thing you are aspiring, ascending towards those ideals in life. So you and I are both aspiring towards Libran ideals, which is harmony, beauty, truth, you know, bohemian type things. We're really looking to get to that point. And it can be hard when you have malefic planets ruling you because malefic planets don't. Uh, <laughs> they, that's not always their thing. It's never their thing, really. I love it. So. I love how you're already dropping in and we're already in the podcast zone. So let me make it official. Uh, Delena Smith, welcome to the How Humans Work podcast. I'm so glad to have you here today. 
great to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And I want to welcome my co-host and friend, deep brother, Tobin Mayo. Tobin, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here as well. Thank you. You've already started. You've already started laying out some of the frames that you feel in, in your relationship and your work with astrology. And for those who are joining us today, thank you for being here. And I also just want to let people know we're starting season four, which is around this idea of systems of knowledge, how we have different knowledges we can rely on to understand our human experience and our human nature. By chance or fate, I found Elena Moon Matters podcast, which I totally love. If you're a student of astrology or interested in astrology, I highly recommend it. Very accessible. And you have this beautiful way of weaving the myth, the story, the gods, the goddesses, and those features in, in a way that really speaks to me because I love that dimension of uh, the mythology of it all. How did you find yourself, as you said, in one of your podcasts, moving from kind of a modern sense of astrology to a deeper Hellenistic or a fate-driven uh, relationship with astrology? How did that come come about for you? Yeah, I think most people start modern because we're in a modern world. That's just kind of how it is. Not everybody's like a steeped in ancient wisdom, you know, from the get. So for me, I I'm a very traditionally driven person. I like foundations uh, for the astrologically fluent people. My Saturn is in Capricorn, which is domiciled. It really wants to uphold tradition. It wants to go back to those archetypal sort of beginnings and see where these myths, these stories, why they originate so strongly within everyone, the human psyche, why the human psyche is so attached to these things. I also have a Jungian sort of spin to me a lot of the time. And I think the modern, the modern uh, significations, while they're not wrong, no system is wrong by any means, but I really resonate with upholding those foundational studies, the foundational art of astrology and really looking at just the beginning. I also like palmistry is actually where I started everything. So in the palm, you have the seven planets as well. And also those are the seven visible planets that you can see. So traditional astrology just really made sense to me. I can see those. I can work with those. They're within my hand. These are the seven sages, the seven archetypes that I think really are people are able to connect with. Not that Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto are bad or not right, or that the modern rulerships are wrong. It's just that these traditional ones, when you get really deep into the system, it makes a lot of sense. And also from an occult sense, like an occult magic sense, which I did for a small period of time, it also just kind of all flows together. So traditional astrology, it's just traditional. It's timeless. So that's why I kind of gravitated more towards that. So you've been using the tools and using the, the system to help you understand, weave, consult with people and understand your uh, I guess the events and experiences of life, how life unfolds, the fates of it. So talk a little bit more about that dimension of your understanding of astrology and how you work with it. So first and foremost, I'm I'm a practicing Stoic. I practice Stoic ideals. I feel like I've been a Stoic. That I feel like I've truly been my entire life. I've always been from a very young age been, you know, if I perceive something this way, well, then it is this way. If I want something to be a preferable experience, then it will be one. And I try to also stay away from polarizing words like good and bad. When I'm doing readings, we have preferred human experiences and we have unpreferred human experiences. Even in the sense of a malefic planet and a benefic planet, they may do 
good or bad things in our lives, but really it's just we don't prefer the things that Mars and Saturn does. We prefer as human beings in our experience here what Jupiter and Venus do because they are like, you know, the fun, the nice, the fun, the party planets, so to speak, whereas Mars and Saturn bring things that we don't like in the human experience. So seeing my using astrology through a stoic lens is just innate to me. I see it. It's someone's fate. And you can also look at it through a psyche kind of portion where you can do psychological astrology with traditional um, meanings and significations. But I really do look at it as this is an overarching energy and overarching fate that is happening to a person. And yes, those events will shape the psyche and it will shape the person that you are. But I can really see in someone's chart a lot of things that are going to happen in their life and how it is going to impact them overall. So is that predictive? Is that in a sense? I would say it's div divinatory. <laughs> yeah, it can be. I try not to divine too much because I always tell people, yeah, I, I, I know you based off of your chart, but there are, I would be so pompous to think that I know exactly the thousands of ways a signification is going to play out, you know, and I don't believe that. I, I, yes, I, I practice astrology. I practice stoicism. I have a hard time labeling myself as what I actually am, though I don't like to say that I'm a diviner or that I can tell your future in any way. I'm more so just a touchstone for the human experience. I'm someone where people happen upon me when they need validation, confirmation, or just a guiding hand to put them in the right direction. I just wanted to chime in and say that I, I really like the idea of um, expressing the, now let me put it a different way, not expressing, but the way in which we can engage our fate through understanding the ways that we engage life and the way that we see ourselves and our place in our own narrative. And because we've been talking about systems of knowledge, I like the idea that you can use astrology as a lens to see yourself and see your relationships more clearly. Um, and instead of feeling subjugated or bullied or um, out of control about yourself, you could delve in and engage your fate or your destiny in a way that gives you agency. Absolutely. It's all about having autonomy to accept what we're given and work with it in a way we're not trying to run from it. We're trying to embrace it. If you have, if you're like me and you have a detrimental mercury, I always tell people a planet in detriment isn't bad. I have a detrimental mercury and I have a podcast. I'm a writer. I, you know, you work with it, you understand it. And you, for your Mars moon conjunction, okay, so maybe you have volatile emotions at times. It's not an excuse. It's an awareness thing. It's a reason to work on it. It's, it's showing you, it's that mirror, Tobin, like you kind of said, it's a mirror to, okay, I'm getting to look at my fate and I can dance with it freely within the confines of what's going to happen regardless. It's, it's teaching you how to react to what kind of the, your strand of fate has woven for you. I really like the idea that we don't name something as good or bad, but we can call it 
benefic or malefic or challenging. And when you see something in your life, whether it's astrology or not, that you become aware is a challenge, it may just take really owning it and acknowledging it in order to start working with it. And then you find out that there's quite a lot of beauty and significance in that challenge. I think that's one of the things that I really like about astrology when I've allowed myself to really embrace something that looks on the face of it very difficult, but then realize because I'm older, there's a lot of places in my life where things that seemed really difficult have ended up being um, bountiful. Yeah. And that's the thing about uh, the malefics, especially Saturn. Saturn is you know, the one that's putting pressure and pressure until something finally turns into a diamond. Saturn won't give you your boons outright by any means, and you must do a lot of work to get them, but they always do come with time. And yeah, so I think that's a really great way to look at it. When it comes to predictive or divinatory or fate, there's the the risk of fatalism or that things feel predetermined. And that's not exactly my understanding of how it works, that it's going to play out a very specific way uh, with this, with this astrological energies that are present, that it's more of, okay, here's the factors that are at play and they're going to have their say. Is that a good way for people to think about it as rather than predetermined or fatalistic? that it's a, a conversation that's unfolding with certain energies in the room. I think that's a really palatable way to say it to people. I think it's a very, very palatable way. It's a very <laughs> Libran, you know, harmonious way to present it to people, to say, this is an energy that you're going to work with. And instead of being like, yeah, Mars is coming, so there's going to be an accident, something is going to slice and dice. You know, I'm very forward with those things. Say it your way then for us. Yeah, say it your way. <laughs> I think fate is going to find you. I think truly, if it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. I've seen it in my own chart and I don't, I don't tell anybody anything that I haven't experienced. I haven't tell, don't tell anybody to do something I haven't done. I've done quite a lot. I know I'm young, but I've done quite a lot of things and I learned through experience and I'm grateful for all of my experiences because it allows me to tell people the story they need to hear. And I think that's the biggest thing and why I like myths so much because I can interject a myth into when I'm trying to interpret something for someone. But yeah, fate happens. And I know people don't like that because they want their autonomy and they want individualism and they want choice. And that's great. You have the choice to accept it. You have the choice to look at it and say, that was unpreferred, but I accept it. That's your choice. Fate isn't your choice. You don't get to choose all of the things that happen to you, but you do get to choose how you react to it and how you respond to it and whether or not you want to see it as an obstacle or an advantage. So that's what I would say. This is going to happen. Somebody's going to die. Someone's going to have a breakup. Something bad is going to happen. You might have to switch jobs. All of the array of things in the human experience that we don't like, but you can choose to see it as an opportunity. And that is your choice within the bounds of fate. Oh, so good. Oh, so agree. <laughs> so, so meaty. Like, oh, okay. All right. So I want to give uh, the listeners and myself kind of the big perspective of fate. So in, in a certain way, fate is related to where the cosmological clock is at the moment one is born. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. Yes. yes. Just the shape of the wheel, the clock, the elements, the energies of uh, 
what one's dealing with in their fate. Yeah. Yeah. So in my world as a traditional astrologer, you really are caring about seven traditional planets. So you're going to have Venus, Mercury, Moon, Sun, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter. Those are kind of the big heavy hitters. And then also the ascendant. In traditional astrology, the ascendant is extremely important because that, that sets up the whole chart, the whole cascade of the chart, all of the houses, then that's where all of the planets fall. So the ascendant is also very important. And those key players really sort of dictate slightly to an extent personality, especially the ascendant and how you present yourself. And then also just the happenings in life. The moon, moon matters. Be, the moon matters isn't just about the moon. It's unconscious. It's the, it's, it's the subconscious world. It's that deep inner world. That's what moon matters is really trying to get to the heart of. Mm-hmm. So, but the moon, that is your inner world. That is, I also think it's like your weak point, your hot button. It's the thing that's going to set you off because it's tender. It's below the surface. The sun, no matter what sun sign you have, even if you only have one placement like Jeff, you only have, I believe the sun. Yes, you only have the sun in Capricorn. That's it. it. So you might not always feel like a Capricorn. You know, you might not always feel Capricornian in a lot of ways, but every other placement has to flow through the sun. It's the sun is the ego identity and ego is not a dirty word. People need to stop, you know, thinking ego is bad because ego Ego is vitality. Ego is how we assert ourselves in the world. If you have no ego, how are you going to get through the world? You're either going to rely on it or super ego, and that's not a good place to be. Again, agree. Agree it's so much. not a good place to be. Fully agree. You don't, yes, you don't want to be acting out of id, and you don't want to be acting out of super ego because you're just going to get hurt all the time. So you need a strong ego to move through this world and balanced. I would say also a balanced ego, knowing the the shadows of oneself is very important. So the sun the sun sign is really core to who we are, regardless of everything else. And I could say with your Mercury, your Mercury is going to be your intellectual mind. It's going to be how you talk with others. I think that's a pretty big uh, signification just for people. How you talk? I'm a fast talker. I'm very very fast. It's Sagittarius Mercury. You have it as well, Jeff. It's <laughs> now Tobin. I'm interested what your Mercury is because you're very mm. even. You're deliberate in how you deliver your words so what is your mercury uh, it's in virgo i was gonna ask it had to so it's domiciled oh. it's great love it you have two detrimental mercuries talking with one domiciled <laughs> <mercury right now. laughs> thank god you're here so yeah because when you speak i can just hear the deliberate way in which you even edit yourself as you're speaking which is not bad it's it's you being very cautious and deliberate with how you speak because words have weight and you know that and they matter you see me (laughs) yeah so (laughs) i try i try so yeah your saturn that's going to show you where hardships are your mars is going to show you where hardships are venus is going to show you where goodness same with jupiter those are just the basic things that wherever they were in the cosmos at the time bam and people might think oh well so everybody gets that it's like not quite Every, it's all going to be a little different because then you start fine-tuning things with aspects. And depending on where you were born, your ascendant can change in the time. That's why time is so so important. It's, yes, Jeff, you and I have both have a Libra rising. So people could be like, well, are you similar? Maybe. Uh, but it all depends on the placements within those houses and what houses are being lit up. You have two placements in the sixth house. I have none. You know, it's, 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 it all shakes out very differently. 
So yes, where the planets are at the time you were born, that's kind of just the crux of fate in a way. Yeah. And the, the thing for that, the, as a amateur astrologist, the thing that kind of is curious for me is the kind of interlocking patterns of houses, planets, signs, uh, and then the positioning and the relationship that it's this very dynamic conversation taking place. Talk a little bit more about those four dimensions of the wheel of the cosmological clock. Yeah. So I know there's 12 signs. And even if you don't have a placement in a sign, like say you have, you have no cancer placements, that doesn't mean you don't have that energy within you. It's just all of those archetypes are within you. It's just which ones are the loudest. It's the same thing with the 12 Jungian archetypes. We have them all, but which one is the loudest? And I've actually overlaid the 12 Jungian archetypes over the chart and in, within the houses and I've seen it and it all it's all a nice, like you said, interlocking system. So the signs really kind of give you the flavor of things, the flavor of when the planets are in there, what what are they kind of acting yeah. like? And some planets really like being in certain signs because it mixes with them. I keep using the words domicile and detriment. So for detrimental Mercury's, you know, Mercury doesn't really like being in Sagittarius because it's a lot of foot and mouth disease. It's a lot of talking <laughs> too fast. It's a lot of saying, you know, your mind's going, but the thing's coming out. There's a very slim filter, if at all any. Uh -huh. Whereas yeah. domiciled Mercury is going to be in Virgo or Gemini. And those are people that are very, Virgo is more of an editor. It's more of a thinker. It's more of, I'm going to tidy this up. And in Gemini, it's the con man. It's the one that can have, be real slick with words. So the signs really dictate the attitude that the planet gets to take on when it's there. And, and just to say that there's like benefits and tensions, uh, places where things are at home and places where things are maybe out of their element, so to speak. Um, Truly out of their element sometimes. I said truly. It was like a pun. I like puns out of their element. That's one of the, like the basic thing. A big part of astrology is like it's an elemental system. I love the elements. Yeah. What do you What do I you love, love about the elements? Oh, the elements. You could learn so much just based off that in general. So you and I both have. I I did something recently where I was talking about like careers and life paths in astrology, and so just looking at it elementally in anybody's chart, two, six, and 10 are the houses of career, destiny, life path, money-making. Everybody wants to get down on the capitalistic system. We live in a material world. We all have to be material girls. It's just how it is. We have to, whether we like it or not. So materialistic things aren't bad. They are literally part of the chart. It is the second house. And looking at that system, yours is in the element of water, much as mine is. So that tells me immediately you really care about connecting with people and changing people's lives. You truly care about having that one-on-one -on -one connection. Maybe it's even going to be a little bit of a spiritual path for you to take whatever your job is. It needs to feel like it's spiritually fulfilling. It needs to feel like you're doing something maybe even a little out of the box, but at the same time, it needs to be, you care about work. Your chart, you definitely care about work, having moon and Mars both in the sixth house. What the service that you give to other people has to fulfill you emotionally. You have to be emotionally fulfilled at work or else it's not worth it. Money's great, but at the end of the day, it's about the emotional fulfillment for the water paths. 
Is that is that is that a good read? It is a good read. It's a totally great read. Tobin, it's a good read. Yeah. What I love is that you know I've I've known you Jeff for 20, 24 years, um, and so to to hear your take on uh, some of the basics of his chart and have it feel um, so uh, so true, so so just to my perception of of Jeff is really uh, is really wonderful. I think we have a good a good sense of just the some of the basics of how astrology works and and where you're coming from and I th- I think continuing to dive in if it's okay um maybe I should tell this dream too I'm not sure when I should tell this this dream cuz I think it should be part I'm so curious Okay great great cuz and I I really do I've been so like Libran polite I've been so polite and <laughs> not asking but I've been, <laughs> but I've been so curious Okay all right so the backstory of how uh we're doing this podcast is um I had a dream probably three months ago. And in the dream, I was in this house. There was a lot of stuff going on. And one of my teachers and one of Tobin's teachers, a man named Michael Mead, probably my most popular figure in my dreams shows up repetitively. He's there and he's on the back porch talking to a woman. And he says to me, hey, I, I think it's time for you to turn your, pro- turn your project in. You got to turn your project in. I'm like, oh, I have a project I'm working on that I need to turn in, like a class. And then, and he says, you know, I want to suggest the title of Eros Responsible Craving. That's not what I'm working on. And then I kind of wake up after the dream does the rest of its dream. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I am working on Eros Responsible Craving. So that morning I, I got up and I'm like, I need to revisit the Eros and Psyche story. And so I started looking through all the podcasts I could find that had Eros and Psyche stories. And almost all of them sucked badly, except (laughs) yours. Yours was great. I loved it. And I was like, okay, that's amazing. This is cool. First, I loved your storytelling and your passion for it and the way you used the myth to kind of bring and highlight, but also this kind of secondary aspect that Tobin and I started exploring, which is never really thought about, but asteroid placements and these other kind of uh, unfamiliar aspects of one's fate and one's nature. So- that's the the dream that led me to your podcast that led me to this conversation. I love that. I, Eros, when I got, when I get into my, uh, I'll say like, I do like mini series on things when I get into them, I feel like I'm steeped in the energy of the thing that I'm working with because I am so big on mythos and understanding it from that archetypal level. So I'm glad that it resonated. I'm glad that you uh, like my storytelling because I've always been a big fan of Anunzi, which is like the God of, storytelling he's like a little spider god and i just i've ever since i was very very little obsessed and so anansi baba yaga all of that is like oh, yeah deep yeah in me <laughs> so where what was the first story in your life that started speaking to you or you knew that stories were a part of your path i would say when i like had figured uh, for some reason when my, my like elementary school we watched this thing on Anansi and I don't know why it was like a Denzel Washington narrated like thing about Anansi and he was a storyteller and I was just been, I was enamored with it and then I remember having like a little stuffed like Pegasus as a kid and I was just very much always surrounded by these types of things and I really really liked them uh-huh. so it's just always there that makes sense in your chart with what aspects, like when you came to understand your nature and your fate, where do you see that in your chart? 
So the ruler of my chart is much like your chart is in the ninth house and the ninth house is all about spirituality. It's about religion. It's about your morals, ethics, beliefs, your, your complex mind. The third house is your day to day mind. And the ninth house is your complex mind. It's these big philosophical questions. I also have a ton of Sagittarius energy. So again, it's, it's very much the walking philosopher of just questioning things. And I remember in one of my work, interviews or like work like reviews at the end of the year one of the positives and negatives about me was that I was philosophical so (laughs) it's yeah uh, yeah so it's I just always ask those big questions and I I like to make people think and you know go there about life yeah no you do and I mean again the moon matters podcast is so great and I actually thought I don't know how you edit, but I thought, God, she edits out all the silences, and then now I'm like, no, she just has <laughs> this Sagittarius Mercury that just kind of keeps going. I'm like, this is impressive. I love the way you're just able to keep flowing from idea to idea. Um, so definitely, a, and yeah, go that's ahead. something that I've always felt is like it just drops in. This is where like more little woo side of me comes into play, where I feel like sometimes it's not me actually. Like I'm like a like a speaker box for whatever is coming out and that's why i say sometimes the story that needs to be told it just gets told through me yeah no i feel that in my acupuncture practice in the years of working with people too that there's a there's an intuitive thing that's happening all the time but i like that and i i do want to i do want to hear what you have to say about my chart but i want to go a little bit deeper with this idea of Mm -hmm. these these 12 things that come through us and it's sometimes allowing room for things that we don't necessarily know or our patterns of nature to arise. And one of my curiosities about your own development as you've gotten into this kind of faded understanding of and this archetypal understanding of experience, how that shifts your perception versus the kind of simple like, oh, I'm doing this or I thought this or I don't like this to a kind of a different read of energies or currents flowing maybe through you society and other people um that you that you work with or or in your life does that question make sense so can you rephrase yeah yeah no (laughs) that question doesn't make sense okay sagittarius mercury (laughs) go 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 sagittarius mercury is trying to understand each other so are you saying you want me like how how i look at like the world yes is that what you're asking? Yes. How, how, okay. the, how, cause you're talking about things flowing through you that aren't you. And to me, that's kind of like an yeah. archetypal energy or a current that, and, and given the permission to think astrologically, given the permission to like depersonalize a lot of what's unfolding in, in one's mm-hmm. fate, okay. that there's room to see the, see the, 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 the flow of time differently and the experience of time. So yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So to, there's two answers to that. One is my husband has a thing called, I go into like the wizard state. It's like a very, you know, meditative type state where I'm just talking and flowing and things. I'm in, it's a, what you would actually call, um, what is that? Not a Zen. Oh, Trance? Stephen Coulter. He had something. No. Flow state. Flow. Flow state. Yes. Flow state. Thank you, Tobin. It's a flow state that, and you can do that with athletics. You can do a flow state with anything you can. And I tend to get into a flow state when I'm getting into my like philosophical ramblings. So it. it just comes out. So there's that, and it's more meditative and, you know, practicing just 
being aware, practicing awareness, grounding, meditation, all of those things help people get into a flow state, the be here now, you know, mentality of things. The, the second thing is that I was actually a scientist for like the first, you know, decade of my real career. And I think that has allowed me to view the world in a non-biased lens because as a scientist, you have to be non-biased. You're looking at things as a third party sort of tester for organic microbial pesticides. So I didn't care about results. I had It really taught me to not have expectations of things, which is the crux of stoicism, not having expectations and you won't be disappointed. Don't put expectations on people, things outside of your control. The only thing you should have expectations of is yourself because it's the only thing you can control. So I think when it comes to astrology, I have my traditional teachings, which I rely on and I believe in fate. I just had a student recently that was like, this is crazy. You write all this down in like a PowerPoint beforehand and you just go into it. I'm like, yes, because I believe it because I know it's true because I've studied it. I've seen it. So I don't have to worry about you know being wrong because fate's not wrong. It, it is. It's just kind of there. So I, I'm not biased in that. I just look at the textbook of what this thing means. And I look at the, the human experience as it is in modern day and kind of smash those significations together. So when I read someone's chart, it's kind of easy to not be biased. I just go with what I know is true of these placements. I, I want to just bring in and, and see where you go with this. So the first time that uh, uh, my mother handed me a book about the, the moon's nodes, which is all about fate and where you're, as, as I see it, where you're pointed and where you came from. And okay. the first time that book was in my hands, I was quite a bit younger. And I remember um, being kind of shocked at how what was expressed. I think it was Martin Schulman's book. Uh, remember the title? Karmic Jeff? Astrology. That's it. Um, kind of shocked at how relevant it felt. And at the same time, super exposed and there were parts of each of the south node and north nodes parts that were hard to digest but felt true and then years went by and i looked at it again and it 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 morphed or it shifted and now there were parts that maybe were difficult before that were now easier to accept having had more life experience and then other places where i felt vulnerable again was like oof if this is true, and yes, it does feel true, what am I going to do? Um, and there's more to say, but I just wanted to start the conversation there because Jeff and I have been talking a lot about both the moon and the moon's nodes and know that you have lots to say about this. <laughs> I do. I actually have a webinar coming up on the lunar nodes. So lunar nodes, love them. It sounds like you got the modern significations of them because in modern astrology, it's very where you're going, where you came from. You know, this one's shaped like a door and it's the door you're walking through. It's very much that. Traditional astrology, it's a little different. So traditional astrology is a great, great story myth that goes along with the lunar nodes. And basically it's Rahu and Ketu. Rahu is the north node. Ketu is the south node. The big story with this, how how did this dragon become just a head and a tail? Because North Node is the head of the dragon, South Node is the tail of the dragon. It's said that there was this guy and he's like, hey, I'm going to go steal an immortality potion from the gods. I'm going to go steal this. I'm going to go drink it. 
And basically, he went, he did this. He's starting to take the first sip of it, and the gods caught him. They beheaded him, but while they beheaded him, a drop did land within his mouth. So then he became immortal. So he became, but he was severed head and body. So head of the dragon, tail of the dragon. And the head of the dragon, Rahu, the north node, is all logic. There is no heart because at the neck. Now, Rahu consumes and consumes and consumes because there is no stomach to fill. So the head of the dragon is insatiable. And the tail of the dragon excretes, and it's all heart. It's all heart. There is, there's no head. There's nothing to think. So the tail of the dragon, Ketu, the south node, is all about just kind of your heart. And yes, a little bit what you intuitively know in your heart, but also it's very draining. It's emotional, and we know emotions can be draining, especially in the human experience. So it's very, very draining, and it's just the bottom keeps falling out. It's like you have a leak no matter how much you put in, you know. It just keeps, the bottom keeps falling out. Now, the only time I care about anything with Rahu and Ketu in traditional astrology is when I see a conjunction. And even when, which a conjunction for everybody is just when a planet is roughly, I like tight orbs because tight orbs means loud conversations in in astrology. So I would say I would give the, the lunar nodes an orb of eight degrees. So if you have a planet within eight degrees of a lunar node, I would say it's important. Today, yes, we do. Jeff's chart actually has this. <laughs> yeah, so let's get into we're it. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to... So, and you can also, if you don't have it natally, you should look at transits. So if you don't have a natal conjunction with the north or south node, you want to watch during... Uh, transits. And if you know, oh, my south node is in cancer. During cancer season or cancer transits, you want to watch when things go over the south node because it might drain them. And that's all in traditional astrology. That's all they do. Rahu increases and Ketu decreases. It's as simple as that. But we're going to get into what that means. So Jeff, you have actually Venus conjunct Rahu in the fifth house. Now, Venus in the fifth house alone is in its joy. It loves being there. A planet in its joy is almost better than being a domicile, in my opinion. It is. It loves to be there because the fifth house is all about Venusian ideals, sex, pleasure, creativity, children, all of it. So when I would see someone with Venus conjunct Rahu, that's an insatiable lover. That is someone who is insatiable in their appetite <laughs> for all things. <laughs> you don't have to keep it straight. I'm going to call you out on this. Great. This is someone it's fate. I can't who do is anything about sensual. It. Yeah. You I, see? No, you you recognize it and you see it because it could ruin your relationships. Being overly sensual, being overly desirous, it could be hard to contain that within the bounds of a relationship. That's what I would caution someone. Also, it is a benefic, so it increases the beneficence of that placement. So you are someone that's probably very active. You like sports, you like creativity, you like leisure, you like to indulge in all things Venusian. But it is an Aquarius. So since it's an Aquarius, you have to be a little offbeat, you have to be a little quirky about it. That's, that's how Aquarius is. So that's just my quick and dirty read on when you have Venus conjunct Rahu. It is the insatiable lover and it's it can be a lot to contain. You have to find the right person who also has that amount of desire for Venusian ideals. 
No, it's super powerful. And the Rahu part, I mean, it's such a, a, a powerful and potent image of, I mean, I guess in Buddhism would be, you know, the endlessness of desire or the, un, the hungry ghost that never gets mm-hmm. fulfilled or those particular dynamics of psychology of overthinking or predictability or trying to figure things out. I'm not sure if that's exactly it, but I, I do have an interest in neuroscience and the brain and, and the modern social sciences and stress. So I kind of look at it a little bit at that in those realms. But I would say, first of all, I just love the story. That's what I'm really trying to say. That story is very potent. It's a nice, interesting take on the North node and South node. And then personally, I'd say that's t- really on point for me. Um, how do I, how do I live out my Venusian desires in a way that's, that works for all of me? Yeah, it's great. Super great. What else you got? I, I know a couple of things I'm interested in my chart, but I'm just curious what you have um, on your mind. Oh, well, tell me what you're interested in. We'll, we'll let it unfold. We'll let it unfold. What are you interested in? I like this thing that you talk about in terms of uh, harmonic and dy- dynamic aspects of the chart. And I, if I look at the dynamic aspects of my chart, places where I see tension or confusion, I would say um, one is everything's flipped. Like you being Libra rising, every oh. house is an opposite sign. So everything is in a sense opposition to itself. And I don't know what to make of that. And you obviously have the same situation. I'm wondering what you make of it and what you advise people. So I kind of threw that line of thinking out once I got into traditional astrology because the ABC method of the houses, I see how, because I think what you're you're saying is Aries is, belongs to the first house, right? Um, and then Taurus would belong to the second house. You're kind of going in that line of thinking. And that's a very modern way of looking at it. And it kind of boxes in okay. the houses. It, and it boxes in the signs and it makes them kind of in these cookie cutter significations where, yes, I see it. I see how it would fit and I see how you could shoehorn all of them in there. But it it doesn't. It's not a thing in traditional astrology. We throw that out immediately. Like the first thing that I might tell my students, we're getting rid of the ABC method and we're going to learn the significations of the houses just as they are. I like where you're going with this because we'd be stuck looking at charts thinking that a chart was only natural if somebody's rising sign was Aries and then everything lined up cookie cutter. Right. But that's going to be a few individuals relatively speaking. Um, but it's not to say that anything else is unnatural. And I'm glad to hear you expand on that. Yeah. Every rising sign is perfect as it is. And it's more about where, all your planets fall based on how the rising sign dictated the house because you can have open houses which have no placements in them and that doesn't mean that there's no meaning to them it just means you have to delineate it in a little bit different of a way but if you have an open fifth house that doesn't mean you won't have children you know it it doesn't mean that at all or if you have an open seventh house it doesn't mean you'll never get married i care more about what is in the house versus or like you know how to i take the ruler of that house and where it is and delineate that way i have a question on on that Mm -hmm. when i look at a chart like my my own or friends partner um an open house i often wondered if it just meant that there's less to be developed there or there's less Mm -hmm. 
challenge and therefore maybe less that has to be discovered and understood. Maybe not understood is the right word, but there, there aren't conflicts or things that fatally one must get into to develop themselves in a way that's going to be fulfilling. Am I on the right track about an empty house, a house with no planet? Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it is that there's not as much karmic baggage or karmic, you know, numinous content going on in that realm of the person's life. So let's look at, we're going to use Jeff again here. So technically, you know, Jeff's, um, if we're looking at his 10th house, it's open. It's just the midheavens there. There's no traditional planet or an asteroid there. So that's the sign of cancer. So where is the, who rules cancer? Question quiz. Who rules, who, 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 what's what planet <laughs> likes to be in cancer? There we go. Uh, Good. Yeah. Okay. So we look at where the moon is. The ruler of the 10th is in the sixth house. So that's going to tell me information about that open house, where the ruler is, what it's doing. And the ruler of the 10th and the sixth, really, that just says, because the 10th house is your role rank reputation. It's your public life. It's your persona. So Jeff is going to really, again, want to connect with people in a very lunar way, but also being in the sixth house service to others, being known for being someone who can help and be uh, kind of a, not a, I, I don't want to say like the mothering archetype, but be someone who they go to and feel comfortable and relaxed and really kind of just get to the inner core of themselves. You provide a service that allows people to feel relaxed and like they can explore that inner world. That's my career right there. And a, and a gift to your friends. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Another, so I'm letting go of the, the inverse sign that there's nothing going on there. Um, the empty house that makes sense. Yeah. Just throw it. That's good. That's good. I love it. Um, and then I guess another point of tension for me I've thought about is this, um, moon Mars relationship. And, and I don't know if there's anything you have to say. I mean, I personally love Mars, but I'm a very Mars ruled person. If you can't tell, I'm very in your face and <laughs> intense about things. I'm very, very fiery individual. So when I see Moon and Mars together, sometimes it can be as simple as an overbearing mother or an aggressive mother. It can be that because the, the moon is the mother or the feminine archetype in astrology. The sun is usually the father. We can also put Saturn in there as well. So it could have been there's tensions with female or just the a mothering person. And that's just if you're not even looking at it from a psyche perspective, but as a fate yeah. perspective, that an aggressive mother archetype. Yeah. So that's interesting. So what I think what I hear you saying is that the the kind of fighting, willing to fight, maybe aggressive, maybe a, a dynamic interaction aspect of Mars at a fate level would be interacting with the feminine or the nurturing relationships. Mm -hmm. And so there would be tension, adversity, or conflict in those zones. Yes. And then you also have to look at the flavor, which is Pisces. So it might be a little more passive aggressive, might be a little more uh, fighting in the ethereal spiritual world. It might not be an outright, you know, jab, but it's going to be in a Piscean way, which emotional manipulation. Yeah. Like in it the might field. Be in a way that's 
yes. in the field it's, it's more. Very yeah, twisted. yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sensitive mm-hmm. in terms of like, and my wife will say this, like, like she, she even starts to feel or think a certain way. That, and I'm like, I already mm-hmm. know it's going down. I already can feel it happening. You know, uh, the conflicts. Like, oh yeah. yeah. She's like, I, I barely even did it. I'm like, no, I know it's there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's it's an intuitive. The moon likes being in Pisces. It's not domiciled or exalted in by any means, but it likes being there because it can be flowy. And tarot, the moon card actually belongs to Pisces, which I think Cancers get a little upset about that. But uh, it, it definitely there. <laughs> <laughs> they would. Yes. Um, no, we can't have Cancer. We can't have Cancer hate. No, they're already they're already coming for people too much. So it's the Pisces and Moon one and one. It really does go well together. It's that dreamy, ethereal, but it's also anxiety, uh, shadows. It, the the Moon card in Tarot has a lot to do with maybe things you made up in your head. Is it real? Is it? Am I really feeling this? Did I make this up? Am I jumping to conclusions on things? Am I? Is this shrouded in mystery that it doesn't need to be? So I think Mars, that Moon Mars conjunction, can sometimes really drive you to jump to emotional conclusions or to feel like you need to emotionally, you know, be ahead of something in a way. Yeah, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged here. especially in a work sense because it's the sixth house so service to others you're really going to be emotionally charged at work a lot of the time i mean the language i would use for that is i I can easily project or infiltrate the idea that it's something i did when things aren't working out like there's an emotional like like oh i go to me as source and my feelings rather quickly i think um, which comes along with the sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Okay, another question I have is yeah, this. And Go ahead, yeah. I was just going to say, in, Pi- in Pisces, again, is it really likes Venus and Venusian ideals. So anytime that harmony gets cut off, it's going to feel really hard for you. When when the, the balance isn't there, it just sends your emotions. So true. That's when he calls me. yeah that's that's when tobin comes in tobin and i talk almost every day (laughs) yeah we're each other's besties we go my moon's in cancer you're mostly cancer my moon is in cancer and it's interesting to have you uh develop the the piscean moon Mm -hmm. in jeff's chart and think about how uh as as men we we relate on a certain emotional level most of the time and i wonder if it's astrologically it can be explained a little bit in um the ways in which the watery moons that oh, we, yeah. we share um yeah aid us yeah. yeah absolutely it's just like water i had a whole discussion with someone the other day about water moons and i'm just like i can't with it i can't i can't with it it's, it's so much and you two just you're filling each other's cups like constantly and it, you're just <laughs> really on that same like petty water <laughs> level of things <laughs> You say petty. petty. I I said petty. I said petty. What do you mean? It's because water signs. That's how they get. They get hurt. Oh yeah. They get hurt, and then it's like, oh, Mm. like how dare? You mean like I am right now? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, what do you mean by petty? What do you mean? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's exact. And I love I love the water signs. Like I'm here for them. I love them. But I'm a lot of my clients are water signs. I'm like, look. 
what we're going to do is really uncomfortable because I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone and it's going to, you're going to have to assert boundaries, which I also know you hate. So mm. it's, it's a lot with water. So water sense of horrible boundaries, because what does it do? They set a boundary. You just get into a puddle and go under the door, you know, keep moving. It's yeah. <laughs> for better, or for worse. What's your moon? I forgot. Aries. Fire. Yeah, I'm an Aries moon. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all fire. It's fire, fire, fire. Fire, fire, fire. In there. Mm-hmm. fire. Fire, fire, fire. Um, do you want to say anything about Aries moon a little bit, just for people who have more some fire and maybe some air elements and earth, just to kind mm. of like develop this relationship with moon that you're so uh interested in? So fire moons, you know, you have to worry about being explosive. You have to worry about, you know, the the big bubbling emotions you really have to work on containing that i always say i live in hyperbole it again every day is a good day every day is the best day i've ever had everything <laughs> is the, the best bigger better it's it's always on that level yeah. you're always up here yeah. constantly and it's not exhausting that's just where i live it's, it's just how i live mm-hmm. uh so i think for fire moons it's about finding people who balance you but don't drain you don't you know completely douse you in a way because you need the fire needs to stay alive because it's Mm -hmm. it's your inner core it is part of your unconscious world you need that that doesn't mean water and fire moons can't get along it just means i think when they are when i'm speaking to watery people i can definitely hurt their feelings Mm -hmm. a lot of the time i'm I'm very good at that (laughs) i'm good at saying the things but People are coming to me usually for that. I don't, I, I've learned in my life with what I do mm. that I don't just give like advice off the cuff because if you're not ready to hear it, I don't want to say it. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about some of the dynamics of of elements between, you know, obviously mm-hmm. certain elements kind of cooperate and support each other and other ones challenge each other. And just for yeah. people to understand both like, kind of the fate of it, like, oh yeah, this is a hard thing, or you are actually feeling this. There is some dynamic differences. In this case, we're talking about water moons and fire moons, but it it spreads throughout the chart, right? It's all, all these different kinds of dimensions, yeah. So everyone, you know, puts fire and air together and water and earth together. And air feeds fire, which is great, but how are you grounding yourself? And then you have water and earth. They're great because earth creates a container for water to feel held. So just between you and uh, Tobin, it's like, okay, Tobin's Mercury, that water Mercury is a place or that earth Mercury is a place for your water moon to like sit and he can just listen. I bet he just, he's a really good listener for all of your emotions and the things that you want to say. And he gives like that advice that you need to hear in a very direct, but subtle way. So water and earth go well together because, you know, when you water the earth, you nourish it when it just you just think elementally in general you know again air feeds fire so they go well together but that doesn't mean you can't have something else i actually like to mix up the elements and see what we can get when you get fire and water yeah water could put out fire but you could also create steam you could also have a steam powered engine there and that can be really awesome and really dynamic and fun because dynamic that's why i say harmonic and dynamic because we get we don't want to get away from uh hard or bad it's dynamic it needs action even in sinistry i like seeing squares oppositions because if it's too easy why try Mm. if it's too easy you're just gonna sit on the couch and watch netflix all day and not do anything cool you know 
it's going to be boring and it's going to be easy. You need dynamic things in the chart to cause friction to get you talking, to get you moving in a relationship. And then another one, let's look at, so we did fire, oh, fire and earth. I really like this one. Yes, fire could completely burn the earth, but what if it's a controlled fire? What if it's like, like actually look literally controlled burns, you know, what if it's like that? Or what if it's being able to take it and create like a hearth that you made in a home? Fire and earth can create a lot of good things if they can come together and just like all of the elements, water and air. That seems, how do you get those two? A boat on the water, you know, pushing it along. You can get air to fuel water's kind of mind in a way and not get them to think so emotionally, but even intellectually. So you, you just have to be creative with how you work with them. Do either of you have more? I, I was going to go towards the the day and the night charts and the moon because we're right there next to it. That's great. I'm I'm looking forward to that. I was just going to say when I was hearing you you speak about uh, the way in which combinations like earth and fire, dynamic relationships, um, water and fire, and I think about um, I'm really interested in our potential for growth and when I see aspects that some people might say, that's really, that's gotta be really difficult. I think, well, if we're going to accept and acknowledge that it's difficult, that's always the beginning of I mean, acknowledging and understanding where you are is the beginning of learning or saying, I don't know, as opposed to, oh yeah, I already know is the beginning of learning. And so I like this idea that, if you apply yourself to it, then maybe you receive benefits over time through effort. And that's kind of my take from what you were saying. And it's uh, a really beautiful way of looking at how we can um, use astrology to see what it is, A, that we have to work with, and then accepting that some of these things are going to be difficult, but that there's so much richness if we step in we're not afraid and we are you know uh, going to acknowledge our our flaws aren't we always like really pumped and proud when we do something hard and we got through it isn't that you know what happens and that's kind of the whole journey of life is continually doing hard things in order to further yourself along in order to further understand and decode kind of your strand of fate Take us to day and night. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you want us to know about day and night charts? You know, one of the things that's interesting in my chart is that most of my planets are below the horizon. But I think 90% of my charts under the surface. I don't know what that means my, exactly, but the way I've kind of worked with it is I just have a lot of energy around personal stuff. I mean, if we're going traditional planets, it's everything except... Uh, Saturn. Everything but Saturn. But Saturn is the ruler of your chart. Mm. Yeah. So all its weight. Oh yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is. And I can relate the everything but I believe two about of mine are underneath the chart. But the two that are above are extremely important. One is my ruler of the chart in the ninth and then Jupiter in the 11th, which is a 
powerhouse annoying placement to me. Um, so <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's, it's very annoying. It's in its joy there. It wants to be seen and heard all the time. Okay. So, yes. Say what it means for you, why you're annoyed with this placement in your own experience. Like what's hard <sighs> for you about having this 11th house Jupiter? Because uh, like you were saying, most of my placements are underneath the horizon line, which that creates someone who is typically more, I don't want to say introverted, but more so private because everything is happening below the horizon line, which above the horizon line is your public life. Below is your personal life. I am, I love talking to people about life and things, but usually it's directed at them not at me. I think I do a fairly decent job at trying to be open with my life experiences because that's how I tell others, like, I've been there. I can relate. I can help you through things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's, you know, my Jupiter is always, I'll complain having to go to the party, but then once I'm there, I won't leave. I'm the last (laughs) to burn out always. The whole time there, I'm telling my husband, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. Like, this is going to be so stupid. I don't want to do this. And then I get there. You can't get me off the dance floor. You can't get me to stop. It's like the wheel has been spun and it's here we go. So expand, expand, expand. Don't stop. Always. Yes, everybody, like more the merrier. Like I'm, you know, people you don't know. Like this is great. This is wonderful. We're all vibing together right now. Like that's, and then it's, you know, crash and burn later. So that's why it's annoying for me okay. personally. Okay. <laughs> Sounds actually kind of cool. <laughs> it's it's fun. But again, I, I think podcasting also was the perfect uh, media for me because I can just be like this disembodied voice that travels with people, but I never really have to. <laughs> like be there actually i like the story because it makes me think about how all of us have certain inhibitions in in certain mm-hmm. parts of our lives but there's always uh, a key or usually it seems like there's also a key to unlocking those inhibitions and then once they're unlocked like we couldn't see how much we would enjoy something or how free we would feel until it has opened up until then or just resisting and being dragged and complaining. I have very little inhibitions, very little, very little. So I know once I go, it's like, this is not, it's like Pandora's box. It's it's out. Yeah. It's done. Is that Mars? Is that Mars being the ruler of your chart that makes you uninhibited? Like just that's part of it yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. My Mars is also retrograde, um, which uh, you're, it's funny, your, the ruler of your chart is also retrograde in, in the ninth house. It's just the other malefic. Um, your retrograde planets is the simplest way to say it is the energy is kind of turned inward on self. You're probably really hard on yourself, like never good enough, extremely critical. Often. Um, what you do. Yeah, it's, it's very, and it's internalized. It's something that you're not very outward about it with close people. Yes, but it's this very heavy weight that you carry inside that is about, you know, wanting to be better and good and a good communicator. And you might be someone who's always like, I should have said this in the moment, or I should have done this better. I could have edited this better or just anything could have done anything better. True. That is absolutely true. And maybe this is good to add in here. One of the things I just, I found myself realizing recently, and this might explain some of the motions in my life right now, but I realized like, what would it be like for me to just take my life ultra seriously? 
take every day with the kind of intensity and being really serious about it. And it, it what I, one thing I realized is like, yeah, I don't always necessarily do that. I think I have some maybe defenses or other modes. Maybe it's the more the Venetian fate of, of, of Libra. But it felt like a key for me, speaking of what you said, Tobin, like a key to unlocking things. And so I'm just placing that insight into myself and my life right next to this uh, ruler, Saturnian ruler of my chart. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. You all, it's funny, people who have Saturnian or Capricorn versus Sagittarius energy have a real tough time, I will say. And you, your Jupiter is domiciled. So you have this want and desire to be, again, free bohemian, do whatever, you know, just kind of go with things. And things work out because a well-placed Jupiter, things just work. It's one of those things you could pretty much try anything and it's going to happen for you. Good luck. It's it's just part of the fate. Yeah, it's it's a good luck thing. I have it, Jeff. I know you have it because you have the domiciled Jupiter, but you stand in your own luck. You stand in the way of your own luck, and that might be a difference between me and you. Whereas you feel like if maybe if you didn't work for it, you don't deserve it. <laughs> whereas I'll take it. I'll walk through any door. I'm I I always say you shouldn't walk through all the doors, but I'm walking through them. So here I am. Well, this gets into the resistance, and it gets into the 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 malefic mm-hmm. aspect of Saturn where I malefic. do feel like I have a very strong like limitation on my, what I allow myself to do. And I have to work through myself mm-hmm. quite a bit, even though I feel these big ass potentials of communication and expression and, and, um, and, and big ideas that like, I've been sitting on a host of big ideas for a while and it's just really hard for me to get to the place where I can, um, be in it, you know, be, be out with it or be it, which gets into the other part of my story, uh, this year, which might be showing up in the chart. And this connects to the Pluto transits that I've, if they matter at all, but feel like my whole first 50 years of my life has been Pluto transits (laughs) across. And I don't know if that matters to you, but I do know that for myself, one of the things I'm learning right now, or one of the teachings that came to me this summer is I have lots of pathos, lots of empathy, but it's time for me to shift mm-hmm. more towards mythos and, and more expansive and maybe above the horizon kind of uh, expression, which I have has been difficult for me to, um, you know, be out of the clinic, be out of that intimate space of healing, helping people, serving people. And I definitely find myself in that transition and that conversation with lots of Capricornian Saturn encounters along the way. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does make sense to me. You know, the ruler of your chart, the master of the nativity, as it's called in traditional astrology, that it's the master's agenda. No matter what else you have going on, it is that planet's agenda. And yours is in the ninth house, which is a very visible house. It's the house of philosophy, astrology, spirituality, just governing yourself, your higher ideals, all of that. So that's going to be extremely important. Now, you do have to balance your Jupiterian energy with your Saturnian energy and it that just takes work. You know, I yes, I am a very freewheeling person because I have a lot of the Sagittarius energy. But remember I told you I have that domiciled Saturn. And the way I do it is I allow myself myself to take opportunities, but I'm also very structured. It, people are very surprised at how structured I am for all of the fire 
and it's using it to be constructive rather than critical. You need to take your Saturnian energy and not be so critical of yourself and rather be constructive with yourself. Give yourself guidelines to follow and rules to follow and things that you must do. And that will appease the Saturnian energy while allowing you to have this influx of, you know, all these ideas and aspirations that you have and allowing Jupiter to really thrive. So it's appeasing both of, you know, the gas giants, so to speak. Nice. And that's the gift of the Saturnian. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm a very oddly regimented person, Mm -hmm. despite everything else, despite of like the spontaneity that I love so much and the freewheeling and that's being able to look at your astrology and say, okay, I have this. It could be a damper on me, but it's not. I regiment myself in a way that allows for spontaneity, that gives me the option to choose it should I need it. And I think you can do that too, Jeff. I think it's going to be, you know, you have a while yet till your second Saturn return because Saturn is in Pisces right now. But I think when that happens is when you're going to see the big sort of push towards that outward uh, energy coming out, being more outward with your energy. So that gets me close to where I want to go and just kind of aside, you know, I I know we're going till 1030 or uh, how you doing right now? How's your energy? Time's irrelevant. Okay, how, irrelevant. how's your energy? You're good? Boundless. Okay, okay, good. Boundless. Great, good. You can't stop me. I'm okay, here. good. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, so since you uh, are up front and you're interested in fate and we've been talking about my chart, I want to invite any things that you see to help me get past my kind of Libran harmonious thing and get more real about what you see in my chart in relationship to my fate. So when what it sounds like you're asking, like potentially like shadow work, like what can I do? You know, shadow work's a big buzz term, um, but that's we need to work with shadows in order to sometimes move ourselves along. And the first place I look for shadows or wisdom is Chiron, the wounded healer. So I love Chiron. Great placement. You have yours in the seventh house. So it's it has it's making a lot of aspects to a lot of uh different placements and it even aligns with one of your strongest placements in in your chart the most exact uh, traditional placement where it's two traditional planets is saturn trine venus so actually saturn trining venus tells me that there's a subduing that needs to be done taking a taking venusian ideas more seriously like allowing yourself to kind of give them guidelines and not be so hedonistic or bohemian with your Libra energy. But back to Chiron, Chiron in the seventh house, how have your relationships been? Like your close, intimate relationships? Tobin probably knows best because we, we talk about it all the time. So he has a more perspective on it. But I would say like good and at times hard. Um, the 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 biggest challenge i think i have in any in my family system of origin or in my current one is when i lose a sense that i feel like i belong or i feel at home in things mm-hmm. and because i have that kind of sensitivity of the moon like that's where the challenge comes in for me feeling like safe and rooted in myself in a family system 
And uh, I was going to bring up the more masculine part of this wound just because it is, it's in Aries. So that's, Aries is the emperor. He's the king, you know. Yeah. This is the one where you might have a wound around masculine energy in a sense or being an effective leader in your relationships and in a relationship dynamic. You know, for me, that showed up with my relationship with my father in terms of if you're talking about where the, do I have a father wound? The answer would be yes. Um, and, and in terms of, but I have father healing too. So it's not just one sided, but I definitely had it. And there was dynamics. I grew up with three brothers, you know, and so my dad took a kind of quasi, sometimes militaristic kind of approach to managing the household when he was there. So there was this kind of extreme intensity between being really intense. Like, well, speaking of Mars, like my dad was like a gun owner, you know, like lots of guns when he passed mm -hmm. away. Right. So, um, so yeah, that, that aspect of the deep mistrust I felt with it, the way he displayed aggression in the family system was absolutely a wound. And then that's impacted my relationships with my brothers, three of them. And, uh, and my sister to some degree, but she was from a, my dad's second marriage, um, in, in ways that are, uh, that are very much in that kind of masculine journey. Yeah, and you even say like the word militant, that's an Aries word. I was thinking of that. That is a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's yeah, Toby, you know, it's it's very much like that's the Aries way to be militant and whether that and that can be good. You can be militant in things and still be positive, but you know, it seems like it was more the unpreferred um, expression of Aries, which is always hard. But like you said, your Chiron, yes, it's a wound, but there's a lot of healing to be gained. That's why I love Chiron. It's not just wounds, it's wisdom from them as well. And it can help you inform how you raise children, how you want to be in your relationships, how you want the person you want to be and how you want to relate to your aggression. And having Mars moon, it's just going to be an eternal, you know, learning experience of how you relate to your aggression and going through an outburst and then coming back and being like, okay, I can do that differently next time or holding something in too long and then being like, okay, I need to relieve the pressure much sooner mm -hmm. next time. It's, it's not that, you know, you're doomed to be this way because once you have the awareness of it, it's now your responsibility to work with it. Mm -hmm. So that's what astrology is. Don't come to me unless you want to be, become aware of things and then be responsible for working on it. Cause you can't say you didn't know anymore. Let's see. I'm going to look at your chart. What else there is? Let's look at there. So there's an asteroid. We you said the asteroid. So you have Juno in the uh, Juno in the first house and it's not super conjunct your ascendant, but it is close to Uranus. So to me, that's big on marriage or your commitment. First, Juno in the first house in general, your marriage is your identity and you are a Libra rising. So you are someone who mirrors others as a form of like affection. It's just a thing that we do. It's, you know, flattery is the best form, imi imitation is the best form of flattery kind of thing. You know, you're a mimic in that way sometimes as I am. If your partner is doing something, you want to be doing it. You know, it's, it's very matchy-matchy in that way for Libra Risings. So when you have Juno in the first house, that doubles down even more that your marriage, your relationship, and even relationships of the past, they become your identity. They're very core to you, which can be hard because you can lose your sense of self rather quickly if it's with someone who doesn't complement who you actually are. 
Yes, is this true? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it was interesting. My wife's an Aries, among other things. We both have grand trines. Alice is an Aries. So it's really interesting to kind of go. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very, very connected and identified with the the marriage and, and our journey. And I also find that kind of the Aries different styles and I, I would probably go more towards the moon aspect of it like that sensitivity of my moon with that more Aries and maybe some mm-hmm. of my past hurts around that and you're gonna love Aries people in general whether it's to your advantage or not because we both we have that seventh house the seventh house is what you encounter a lot of and especially if you do have placements in there, like I have the, my natal moon is in the seventh house. So I just adore other Aries moons and Aries placements. And I love that. And you're going to as well. So the fact that your wife has, is an Aries does not surprise me at all because there should be something usually, cause it's the house of marriage, you know? So I'm not surprised at all that there is sinistry going on there it doesn't have to there's a bunch of other ways it can work out but a lot of the times i will see people where in their sinistry with their spouse or whoever they're in a relationship with they'll have seventh house placements but your juno really does say that it becomes your identity and there's nothing wrong with that again i'm leave rising i get it but your <laughs> juno is very much like and also being so close to uranus there's something foundational shaking like your marriages and your deep commitments really change you and it can be abruptly or you have abrupt changes within the marriage there's things that because uranus is the great disruptor so there's something that is very disrupting to your sense of self that happens within marriage. that's true and i think it's more on the emotional side yeah i think it makes a lot of sense emotionally that, that, that i have like very like disruptive like strong feelings sensitive feelings that are there mm-hmm and you are a night chart, which we touched on that briefly, but you're a night chart. So you're going to actually feel a lot closer to your moon and Pisces rather than Capricorn. That makes sense to me. I like the dialogue that you guys are having right now a lot. And, and I, I feel your vulnerability, Jeff, because uh, it makes me think of the ways in which I see you. And it's like, it's so spot on. Um, when you so are, you're, Still you, spot on. it's so spot on because you're being very stoic about it though. You're being very, <laughs> yeah, stoic. I just, I would just, was just going to say that, um, it's so true that, um, the way in which you identify with partnership yeah. and connections to others, um, means that you, when you're feeling in the flow and connected and engaged seen, you are high as a kite you and you express it and you you let people like me know uh that you're in the group and when you fall out and you feel disharmonious disharmonious um it's heavy it's got a weight and the the great thing from where i stand is that you'll explore both places and write about it in poetry and really expand on what it's like to be in and out side the the warm thing and it's a way i think that you do figure out how to navigate uh being here and here and not like some people just kind of running very consistently most of the time it's good it's honest it's true and the and so to ex- expand on your vulnerability but also to engage the the other side of this equation um is you know, we talked a lot about what this show can be for 
viewers and interested astrologers and students of astrology. And um, one of the questions I had, I just wanted to get in before we go. I don't have a lot more time personally, but to bring it back around, I think what I've been pondering lately for myself is how do I invite more people in my life to explore astrology with me? I have some of my own ideas, but with you on the show today, I thought it was a great chance to say, how would you start beyond sun signs to really lure somebody in, in a nice way to become more fascinated with not only understanding themselves through astrology, but also maybe how they relate to uh, the harder dynamics in their life, work, family, uh, relationship to me, and and keep it simple enough that you can start to integrate the, the, the complications as you go. I don't know if you'll like this answer, but I wouldn't. Ah, okay. I, it's one of those things where throughout my time as a teacher and in this role, I've always, and maybe it's different because I'm taking on the teaching role. It's not a personal thing. I just let people come when they're ready. And I, the best thing I can do is live it. So, you know, I've been a, I've been a vegan for 10 years. I'm not the vegan that's out there in the streets screaming or telling people you shouldn't do this, but I rather just, I live and I let people watch how happy I am and how excited I am for life. And they say like, how, you know, at some point the it comes up in conversation. And I say, well, I do these practices. I do these things. And then you introduce it organically rather than lure them in, rather than try to like bait them into something that they don't know what they're doing. Because if they're not ready for it, they're just going to use it in a way that I wouldn't want someone to use it anyway. I would, I want someone to come to it when they're ready. And honestly, in this lifetime, maybe they're not going to come to it. it my, my Buddhist perspective says it. I, I, I'm not here to force anybody to do anything. I'm here to just live authentically and allow my existence to hopefully be a beacon where other people want Great to answer. live the same. Well said. So. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to, you can just tell people, you know, like, this has helped me. Just be honest. Just be like, you know, this really helps me understand myself in a better way. And then if they're interested, they're interested. People always want to hear about themselves, right? You know, like, they always want to hear about themselves. That's us as humans. We're little creatures that want to know more about ourselves, but don't want to do the work to know more about ourselves. So you can just say this has really helped me discover more about me. And I think, you know, it could be interesting to look Delana, at Delana, it's been so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for all uh, the wisdom, the insight, uh, the willingness, the energy to join Tobin and myself. And Tobin's been great to have you here. It's been so fun. Thank you for your wisdom and insights and your curiosity. Tobin's been a great palate cleanser for, for, the, for the both of us. <laughs> I had no idea what I was signing up for, but I am so glad that this worked out. And it's been delightful. Thank you so much. And so for people to find you, Delena, I know you have a lot of uh, offerings. What would you like to say about that? Yeah, you can't find me on social media because I think it's a hell realm. So uh, I don't have that. But you can go to my website and you can send me a message there. I'm pretty, 
pretty open to talking to people. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. You can only go to my website and maybe just like send a wish into the air and maybe I'll catch it. So that's about it. Oh, my website is Moon Matters Astrology, by the way. Horrible at marketing myself. I just let, I just let Jupiter do that. Jupiter does all the work for that. Well, that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. This is a labor of love. And there's a few ways you can be in reciprocity and support the How Humans Work podcast. Of course, following us, subscribing, sharing the show matters. Next step above that, leave a review. Tell the world how much you enjoy this podcast. Finally, financial support is awesome. We could definitely use that. It helps us produce shows more quickly, invest more time. So you can find out ways to donate one time or be an ongoing supporter at howhumanswork.us forward slash podcast. I know your fingers know how to find websites, so go on over there, make a donation. Be much appreciated. All right, until next time.